Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. On this week's podcast, we talk about Microsoft Surface Laptop 4 leaks. We talk about the ROG Phone 5 Ultimate Edition. And Microsoft buying Bethesda deal is now complete. Okay, on to topic number one. Over the past seven days, there's been a lot of leaks around the Microsoft Surface Laptop 4. Now, it hasn't been officially announced yet, but a lot of rumors are pointing towards an April release date. Now, one of the biggest things, I guess, that people are kind of talking about, because this is some of the most solid information we have, is this year the Surface Laptop is going to have both Intel and AMD CPUs. I guess, have you heard any of the leaks surrounding this laptop and what are your thoughts on the upcoming device? Yeah, so I actually haven't heard too much about the Surface Laptop um, 4. And I was kind of actually surprised that there was some leaks already coming out because this is usually a device that doesn't have many leaks associated with it. And I'm glad that you brought it to my attention because generally if there's a leak for the Surface Laptop, it could be an indication that some exciting things are happening. And I think a lot of the reasons why a lot of the specs and, and information around the Surface Laptop hasn't leaked in the past is because generally the information that would come from that leak wouldn't be very exciting. It would be, you know, new Intel chips, but not the latest, you know, maybe a new port, but not USB-C or Thunderbolt. Um, but these kind of rumors coming out seems like, hey, Microsoft might actually be putting the Surface line into you know, flagship territory, finally getting uh, to people who want a flagship device from Microsoft that can do all, can tackle all of their needs. And the idea that it could have both AMD and Intel processors is a huge one because right now, um, especially on the mobile front, AMD has been doing a fantastic job with getting their new processors out for some really, really powerful laptops. And the fact that Microsoft could be getting into that and, and finally start offering AMD processors in their machines, which they have in the past, but when they did, they weren't good processors that they were offering. They were kind of outdated and, and not great. But now that AMD does have great processors and a lot of people have been slow to kind of adopt them, if Microsoft can you know get on that take earlier than they normally would, that's fantastic. Also, you know, if this is finally Microsoft's time to add USB-C or, uh, and Thunderbolt or USB 4 to their laptops, that would be huge. That's something that the, those machines have always missed. They, they're great when it comes to legacy ports. You know, they've had DisplayPort, USB-A, SD card, like great port selection, but no real high-speed port that Thunderbolt or USB-C uh, USB 4 would have added to that. So the f- the fact that they could finally now be getting to that point, I think is huge. And I hope these rumors turn out to be true. The one thing I do kind of hope that Microsoft can do a little bit differently. I think the design of the laptops are fine. You know, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about with Apple kind of redesigning their MacBook Pros, I think is necessary. But Microsoft's laptops design wise, I think are a little bit more uh, up to date they they include touchscreens they have you know surface pen support so that's not stuff i'm too worried about it's more about getting the value proposition right microsoft took a step closer to that with the the cheaper more affordable version of the surface laptop it's a little bit smaller a little bit less powerful i kind of hope that they can bring in these new specs bring in all these new features but not make these devices insanely expensive uh, I think we've talked in the past, like years and years ago, when Microsoft first announced the Microsoft Studio, which is their all-in-one desktop computer that looks really cool. You know, you mm-hmm. can put it in the form where you can draw on it and make it a drawing tablet. But it was so ridiculously expensive, like just <laughs> so overpriced. Um, but I'm hoping Microsoft can get closer to consumer-level uh, prices where their products are actually priced for that you know most people can afford, which we've seen Apple has been doing really well recently with the M1 related products. And I imagine Microsoft is doing this because they're feeling the heat from that kind of competition that Apple brought to the table. Um, But how about you? Uh, You saw a few of these leaks. What is your impression, especially as someone who has used uh, a MacBook in the past, does this 
kind of make you more interested in maybe Microsoft's offering of laptops? I wouldn't say it necessarily makes me more interested in their offering, at least not yet. I'd need to see, like you said, the value proposition, right? Mm -hmm. One question I kind of want I have is they're offering both AMD and Intel chips. Now, the AMD chips are the 4000 series, the Ryzen 4000. So it's not the newest model. It's last year's model, but that is kind of because the 5000 was just announced, debuted at the start of this year. So they haven't had it long enough to, I guess, start putting it in their laptops. The Intel chip is their newest 11th gen Tiger Lake CPU. Now, Intel chips are the newest. AMD Ryzen is sort of not the newest. Is there going to be a price discrepancy? That's one thing I want to know. Like, it's great that you're offering both AMD and Intel, but is the AMD version going to be $200 cheaper than the Intel chip? Because one thing that a lot of manufacturers have been complaining about for so long is Intel is making these small incremental changes, upgrades each generation, and they're charging us so much for this small incremental upgrade. Whereas AMD was coming out with their Ryzen CPUs, and they were having, I guess, bigger jumps in performance, and they weren't as costly to manufacturers, which meant the laptops that included them weren't as costly to consumers. And that's one thing that's kind of driven the the fanfare, the fandom of these AMD Ryzen CPUs, which is why they've been included in more laptops. So let's say they come out with a, a Surface Laptop Ford with an AMD Ryzen and with an Intel, and the AMD one is cheaper, and it sells better, that is something I'd be interested in, right? Because it's kind of the climate that we live in. Like you said, the M1 MacBooks came out, they perform great, and they cost less than their Intel counterparts. So let's say if the Surface Laptop 4 comes out, and it's, hey, it performs great, and it costs less than the Intel counterpart. That's one thing that would be interesting to me. Now, I guess a couple of specs, I guess, that are getting out there is the RAM Max is out at 32 gigabytes for these Surface laptops. But interestingly enough, the AMD version only goes up to 16 gigabytes. The same thing is said for the storage. It maxes out at one terabyte, but the AMD version only goes up to 512 gigabytes. So I'm not sure if this is some sort of limitation with the Ryzen 4000 CPUs, or maybe it's something that Intel has worked out with Microsoft, but it's like, hey, we are we are going to be, at, at least in some way, a step above the other CPUs that you're using. Or maybe there is, in fact, you know, some sort of limitation, but I'm really interested in seeing what the prices come out for these two different devices, right? And obviously, there's going to be, okay... If one maxes out at 16 gigabytes of RAM and one maxes out at 32, then yes, it is naturally going to be more expensive. Same thing can be said with the storage capabilities. But I think this is pushing Intel even more to step up their game. Because before, right, when we talked about the Apple products, right, the M1 chip competing against the Intel counterpart, it's you're being pushed by Apple in their own systems. Now you're being pushed by AMD in a Microsoft system. So that competition, like we said for all of 2020, right? It's gonna breed innovation. It should breed innovation. I don't imagine Intel to just, you know, take a beat and sit down, but I'm interested to see what the prices are when this laptop gets announced. And I'm interested to see what the numbers are like when they sell. I mean, a bold prediction, the Ryzen will cost less, perform, the same, if not better, than the newest chip that Intel has to offer, and it's going to outsell the Intel version of the same laptop. Yeah. Originally, my my initial thought was the Intel version might cost a little bit less, just because of what Intel has been doing in the desk desktop space. So, because AMD has been doing so well with desktop processors that are competing with Intel, but just completely beating them in almost every single aspect. Intel has slashed the price of their processors to compete that way, to be the value kind of proposition, which is kind of a role reversal. That's something that AMD always used to do when they weren't up to par with Intel's processors. They would just slash the price to be the value kind of uh, the value choice.
But the interesting thing here is that the AMD version might not support as much RAM or even as much storage is, is really strange. And then also the fact that I think you're right. I think despite the fact that this is the older version of the AMD processors, it will probably outperform in most scenarios, or at least in a lot of scenarios, the Intel, the newest generation Intel chip. And I think one of the areas where it might have been lagging behind would have been graphics performance. That's one of the big kind of benefits of the 11th gen Intel processors is their Iris Xe graphics, integrated graphics that you know have a little bit more power than than integrated graphics have had in the past. But there have been rumors that potentially there could be a discrete GPU kind of integrated into the laptop in some way. So maybe that's Microsoft's way of saying, okay, the Intel version is going to be maybe a, a budget version where it uses integrated graphics and, you know, you're, you can get as much RAM or as much storage as you need. But at the end of the day, you can't do anything with graphics. But we're going to take those PCI Express lanes from the AMD version and instead of putting that towards RAM and storage we'll put that to a dedicated GPU so you might get less storage and you might get less RAM but you're gonna get more graphics processing out of that chip or out of that that machine but then it's also gonna be a little bit more expensive because you're getting just more hardware in terms of graphics processing and CPU processing so yeah honestly I have no idea how it could go it could go either way and like you said this this inf this news enough isn't enough to convince me or, or anyone else to switch from the laptop they're currently using over to a Microsoft product. And I think that's a problem Microsoft has had for a long time. They make amazing stuff. We talked about the Surface Duo in the past. Such cool hardware, not great software. It didn't work too well, but really cool device. They do that all across their, the line of their products. From the Surface, you know, tablet to the, the Surface laptop to the to the Surface Studio, even the Surface headphones. All these products they make are really cool, really well designed, but there's always something that holds them back, whether it's performance, whether it's price. This has to be the time, or at least I hope it's the time, that they finally get all of those, those variables together under one product that works well, so that if I was in the market for an M1 MacBook, MacBook Air, or even a MacBook Pro, I can look to Microsoft and say, oh, maybe they don't have something that's exactly that, but something that is at least valuable enough for me to say that can be a part of the decision, um, which they don't have right now, quite frankly. Yeah, it's a uh, very good points. And, you know, interestingly enough, you brought up the design, right? It doesn't seem like there's going to be any changes to the design and kind of what Microsoft has been doing with this Surface Laptop series is it's more changes on the inside right mm -hmm. upgrading the ram upgrading the cpu upgrading the integrated graphics right and there haven't been any design changes at least i think for the past three years now it's not like it's an ugly looking laptop right but when you look at something like you know the dell xps or the hp specter series those pretty much every year there's some new iteration there's some new tweak to the design so you may start off at the same point as those, but each year when you don't change anything and they keep on changing things, right? You kind of start to fall behind. When you look at the bezels on the Surface laptop, on the laptop three, right? They look huge. They look humongous compared to something like, you know, Dell's XPS where they have that almost edge to edge display. Mm -hmm. There aren't rumored to be any design changes, but I think that could be something that would really turn people's heads, right? We talked on previous episodes about how with these new, the new MacBook Pro that's supposed to be coming out, how there's supposed to be a huge new redesign because Apple also hasn't redesigned their MacBook in many generations. Even if you kept everything the same inside, if you have a new updated, more modern looking design, that would be enough reason for people to go out and buy your laptop or go out and buy your product. So if they really want to turn heads, right? I think it would go a long way to update the design, even if it's something as small as, you know, getting rid of or even just shrinking down the bezels on the sides and on the top and bottom. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying for them to completely rework it because it is a nice modern looking laptop, but it was more modern three years ago and now it's kind of 
looking like a like an old age. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And and I hope also that they kind of update the Surface Laptop Go a bit as well. I think that's a cool device. Um, a little bit expensive, honestly, but in terms of a laptop that is small, portable, doesn't have a lot of power, but also doesn't need it. It's just you know for people who need to get work done on the go, spreadsheets and, and simple stuff like that. I think it's a really cool device. I hope that this is a part of that that kind of updating um, because that's a device that can use a little bit of updating as well. Despite the fact that it's a pretty recent device, um, I still think it's something that can be updated as well to kind of bring it a little bit more competitive with what Apple's doing. Definitely. Anything else on this topic? Um, not really. I, I definitely am glad to hear it. Like I said, I haven't heard of this news until you, you brought it to my attention. And I'm hoping that the fact that there is actually leaks about a Surface laptop means that they're actually going to do something cool. And if these rumors are true, it could turn out to be actually kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. On to topic number two, uh, the ROG Phone 5 Ultimate Edition. On March 8th, 2021, Asus announced their ROG Phone 5 along with the regular editions. They announced an Ultimate Edition what they've called the gaming phone that takes no prisoners now it has a lot of flagship specs but it also has a lot of gamer specific specs and features also to name a few you know it has a matte white finish only one color has a 6.78 inch display 144 hertz you know 1080p snapdragon triple eight 18 gigabytes of ddr5 ram 512 gigabytes of UFS 3.1 storage. It has dual 3000 milliamp hour batteries, 65 watt fast charging. It has an ROG Vision black and white OLED display on the back. It has touch sensitive shoulder buttons. It, uh, it has a lot going on for it. Now I know before we've talked about this phone, not on the podcast, we just kind of had a conversation about it, but how do you feel about, let's say the specs of the phone, the design of the phone, and I guess the intended purpose of this gaming specific flagship phone. So yeah, I, I think I've brought up on, on this podcast before, I'm not the biggest fan of like flagship devices with all these specs, just throwing at the device and you know, just throw it at the <laughs> wall and see if it sticks. Um, but there are quite a few things about this phone that I absolutely really, really like. And, and some things that I think are just incredibly interesting. For one, I'll start with something that I think is incredibly interesting. This phone can have uh, as much RAM as the maximum RAM you can get in an M1 MacBook. We were just talking about MacBooks, <laughs> and <laughs> this phone can get just as much RAM as that in a tiny little device, which I think is crazy. Um, and also, same thing with storage. Like The Ultimate and Pro can have up to 512 gigabytes of storage, um, which is just so cool that we're seeing all of these kind of specs that would have been relegated just to the computer market in a phone and you know asus is really going for hey we're going to target that gamer market and we're going to give them everything that they need the one thing that i think is the killer feature of this phone is the battery hands down we've both seen the kind of teardown of the phone and what they kind of did with the with the motherboard and how it's two separate batteries on either sides of the board and it's just such an amazingly cool design that in retrospect, it seems like, oh yeah, that's simple. Separate the battery so that it can charge faster and not get as, as hot, um, both when you're charging and when you're using the device uh, for something like gaming, because that's usually where a lot of that heat comes from. It doesn't just come from the processor, but it comes from the battery as well. If you split that up so each side of that battery can't generate as much heat as if it was all enclosed into one, huge benefit. But then also the fact that it's, 6,000 milliamp hours, which huge battery, 65 watt fast charging, so you can charge it up really quick. And I think we've mentioned this uh, in the past. I believe this is one of the phones that has that feature where you can limit the maximum charge of the battery. So when you plug it in overnight, you can say, hey, just charge to 90% instead of it automatically charging to 100% so that you don't lose... Uh, in the battery degradation of your charge cycles, which is such a simple concept that I was surprised my phone didn't have. And it's just all of these kind of things rolled into this flagship device that as much as I'm not super into flagship devices, this one is doing a whole bunch of things that I think are really cool. 
The one thing where I'm not the biggest fan of is the design. The design just isn't for me. Um, especially the, the, the ultimate version where it has the storm white with all of the little etchings and, and different colors and stuff like that in the back. Um, it's not really, I, I prefer something a little bit more simple, a little bit more plain, but they, they have that in, in the other versions, like the pro, um, comes in phantom black. And then even the regular ROG phone five comes in white or black. So yeah, I, I think overall the phone is really cool. Uh, I'm really interested to see what it's going to retail for across all the markets to see if it's going to undercut some of the flagships that we've already seen from Samsung or even what OnePlus might bring to the table. But I definitely think them focusing on gaming is definitely, as much as I don't game on a phone, to me that that would entice me more than let's say what OnePlus is doing with cameras. And I know that that is going to be a minority of people. I think most people are going to care more about cameras than they would about gaming on their phone. So it's just cool that a company like Asus is actually willing to do that and focus on that market and kind of make a phone that has no compromises for people who want to game on it. For anyone who isn't sure, I guess the design of the battery, right? There are two separate 3000 milliamp hour cells. If you were holding the phone in portrait mode, there would be one half on the top half of the phone and one half on the bottom half of the phone. And in the middle of the phone, in the middle of the screen, that's where the motherboard, CPU, all of those internals are. If you haven't, I guess, seen the phone yourself. And you mentioned, you know, the the steady charging and the charge limiter. Those are amazing features, right? One big reason why phones and why products kind of, we aren't able to use them anymore is because they just, their batteries don't last. A lot of times a phone's battery will die, but everything else on it works fine. It's not like the camera's broken. The screen is still fine. Yep. You know, it still works fast, but it will last not even half a day and then you'll have to charge it again. And it's not like we can easily replace phone batteries right now, right? Before, you know, what, four or five years ago, you could buy an extra battery for your phone, no problem. Now it's kind of try and open it up, you void the warranty. But the fact that they have this charge limiting feature where you can say, okay, I only want my phone to charge to 90%, charge to 80% so we can save some of those charge cycles, like you said, it's surprising our phones don't have that right now, mm -hmm. right? It's such a simple software feature that any manufacturer could just throw in there and it would, it would help the consumer out so much, right? It would prolong the life of that phone so much and it would prolong how long they could enjoy your product so much more. It just makes sense. You mentioned gaming on the phone too. It's designed for gamers. It also has a bypass mode or bypass charging that is utilized when gaming. So let's say if your battery is running low, you plug in your phone to charge while you game. It has a mode. So instead of your battery being charged and your battery being drained while you're playing, let's say, a, a CPU or graphic intensive game, and that just creates a lot of heat, like you said, in the battery because there's energy flowing in, there's energy flowing out and it never really gets full, this bypass charging mode will say, okay, you are gaming right now, your battery is full, we're not gonna keep on pumping energy into the battery just for it to drain out, we're going to bypass the battery and use this external energy just to power the internals, just to power the, the graphics and the CPU. So your battery doesn't take in any more energy, it doesn't use up charge cycles, and it doesn't produce more heat. So the rest of the system can function faster and function better, right? Which if you make a phone specifically for gaming, it's, it makes so much more sense. Yeah. Right. I'm not sure if this is a feature that they had on their last phone. I don't remember hearing about this, but if you are making a phone just for gaming, it seems like it is a must have feature for you from now on. Right. Um, another cool thing that they have. So a lot of people like to play, you know, first person shooters on their phone. If it's PUBG, if it's Fortnite, if it's, you know, Call of Duty Mobile, when you're holding the phone in landscape mode, it has what they call air triggers on the top. It's two touch sensitive areas. So you can use those just like a trigger button on a controller. Now I know, I think on the older phones, it was actually two buttons that would kind of elevate out of the side of the phone. 
So it was two physical buttons. Now they've just replaced them with touch sensitive buttons. But on the ultimate edition, they have those two. And on the back of the phone, they have two touch sensitive areas, which you can program to anything. So along with the, the regular on-screen controls, you could have two buttons on the top, two buttons on the back. So it's really turning your phone into a controller, which is, if I was someone who gave on my phone, let's say full time, that's, it's a no brainer for me, yeah. right? If you're someone who's looking for that type of phone. Yeah. It, this kind of phone makes me hope for a day where there's a device that can do everything. Like it can be your, your main computing device. It could be your mobile gaming device. It can be your phone. And I think you're the one that brought this up, right? Like this isn't that many steps away from doing that. Like it's not, it's more powerful than, than most things that people would game on mobily. I saw in one of the reviews, I think it was Dave, Dave 2D's review, uh, playing Genshin Impact. And that's a game that I play on, on my computer and you know, the phone can do it easily, no problem. And it's a great game. It's a big game, very much like, like Zelda and stuff like that. But just the idea that that can all be done on a phone and in the teardown, just seeing how small that motherboard is, all that can be done on that little PCB is so cool. And like I said, as much as I'm not super into flagship phones, I think this is the perfect example of like all those features that you just mentioned as why flagship phones need to exist is because these simple things that seem like, oh, every phone should be able to do this, like the battery charge limit or the, the passive the passive connection when you plug in the cable, it's not charging the batteries to generate heat because it knows you're using it. It just uses that power from the wall is such genius features that seem like every phone should have them. But unless you're trying to make the best phone in the world, you're probably not going to think of it. And yeah, so as much as this as I'm not in the market for phones like this, I'm so glad that they exist. And once again, this is a very niche product. I hope that, you know, people who really love gaming on their phones kind of gravitate towards it and and kind of support it. But uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. And also, I can't wait to see what more companies decide to do with phones with the Snapdragon 888. I think this has been a year where, once again, competition because of all this competition from Apple and how great they've been doing with their processors, as much as Apple's processors are probably still far more powerful than the Snapdragon 888, I think this is showing just how versatile that chip can be. Whether we're talking about the ROG Phone 5 with its focus on gaming or, you know, the Samsung S21 or even the OnePlus 9 with their focus on cameras, the power is there for when manufacturers want to focus on something they can. And that's just so cool to see. Definitely. A couple more features about this phone. So it has a headphone jack, which, you know, in the year 2021, a flagship phone coming with a headphone jack yeah. is <laughs> an amazing feature, right? Um, not It doesn't just have, I guess, your, your standard, typical headphone jack. It has a headphone jack with an ESS quad deck and an app connection. It also has two speakers on the front two front facing speakers for stereo sound which a lot of you know reviewers who actually have this phone are saying this thing sounds amazing right this seems like such a complete device yeah like you said it seems like such a phone that could do everything right whether it's gaming whether it's computing whether it's even just media consumption like this phone seems to have it all we you said how powerful it is right this is a 6.78 inch screen i think the switch is what a seven inch screen yeah this phone is pretty much the size of a switch but it is way more powerful than it this is from a, a company too whose sole focus is making gaming devices right asus rog stands for republic of gamers so this is a phone made just for gamers which is why they have you know a crazy refresh rate on their screen, which is why they have this, you know, 3000 milliamp hour two 3000 milliamp hour cells with 65 watt fast charging and a bypass feature, which is why they have these dual front facing speakers and they have such a high quality headphone jack. Yeah. They made this game for gamers because this is the thing that gamers want. I can see that this phone doing well or people talking about features of this phone that do well, like 
the charge limiting feature and then applying that into future flagships, right? Whether that be Apple, whether that be Samsung, whether that be OnePlus, if you see that a feature like that charge limiter or bypass charging is getting such good publicity, it's like, well, we could do that. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Right. I don't expect everyone to start bringing headphone jacks back, but some of the software features that this phone has mm. that they developed specifically because gamers wanted it, I could see other people, other companies using it because it's done so well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. Like, they've covered their bases, they made sure that they didn't cut corners. Where I think if you're trying to make a phone that's, you know, just looks cool or as, or as as thin as possible or and stuff like that you'd, you'd cut those corners you'd get rid of the headphone jack you'd you know do all this stuff to kind of make the phone more sleek this doesn't do any of that this is still you know a pretty slim a pretty light phone considering what you're getting but it has everything there is no excuse it has the biggest battery and the headphone jack and front-facing speakers dual front-facing speakers no other phone every phone that takes those out makes the complaint oh we did this because we needed more space for battery or oh we did this because we wanted to put in a more powerful chip this has all of that and yeah it's just nice that there's no there's no excuses as to why something could be done because they did everything and even talking about cutting corners right when you look at the display it has a 144 hertz display Mm -hmm. iphones are still on 60 hertz true right like for the longest time last year before the iphone 12 came out everyone was like oh, iPhone are finally getting, you know, 120 hertz display. They're finally getting that promotion. Oh, no, yeah, they didn't talk about it at all because they wanted to focus on 5G. But when you look at, you know, the flagships from Android, right, they're getting 90 hertz, 120 hertz. This is going even above and beyond that. So now when Samsung, you know, the S22 comes out next year, are they going to have to say, well, asus put out 144 hertz so now we're putting out 144 hertz i mean they're not going to say it like that we're going to find better marketing than that (laughs) but it's kind of like it's raising the bar of what a flagship phone needs to be now if you're apple maybe you don't need to go to that bar maybe this year they'll go 90 hertz or 120 hertz and that'll be a big deal for everyone that's only on apple but i guess for the rest of the the phone market the the smartphone ecosystem they've risen the bar in a lot of ways and and like you said they've done all of it so it's not like okay we have really good cameras on our s21 ultra but you know we don't have as big of a battery or it's you know we have a great screen but we don't have a headphone jack because we got to save space but you know asus with this phone is kind of showing that hey we can give you all the features you want and then some and fit it into something that people are going to want to buy. Now, like you said, pricing, you know, it's not a cheap phone. No. But if you're someone who's in the market for all these features, it's kind of it's a phone that was made for you. Anything else on this topic? Well, you know, th- this topic has mostly been about the ROG Phone 5 Ultimate. But, you know, and the price it looks like it could be ridiculously high if it comes out in like North American markets, but even in European so, markets. Uh, before you finish, mm. for the ultimate, the price is one thousand two hundred and ninety nine euros. At today's conversion rates, that's one thousand five hundred and forty six dollars USD. Yeah. In Canadian, one thousand nine hundred and fifty four dollars. <laughs> so you're getting all the bells and whistles. You're not getting them for cheap. But sorry, continue. Well, and that's the one thing that I wanted to bring up is that a majority of these features would also be on the ROG Fine, ROG Five Pro, um, which just has a little bit less RAM. I think that one's up to 16 gigabytes as opposed to up to 18 gigabytes for the for the Ultimate. Which, uh, to go back to something I said earlier, the phone can't have as much RAM as the M1 MacBook Pro. It has more RAM. M1 MacBook Pro, um, actually two gigabytes more RAM, which is is pretty crazy to think of. But you know, a lot of these features do exist in the cheaper versions as well. So I would imagine that you know, if the price is too high, and but like a lot of these features are stuff that you're really interested in, especially like the the you know battery limiting and the passive charging or the the passive stuff, that will be in the cheaper versions as well. Um, but you know, you'll step down a little bit with storage. You'll step down with with uh, RAM. And, you know, 
just a few things to, to watch there but yeah the, the phone can be very expensive the the other phones do drop quite a bit in price i believe that the pro is about 950 euros or probably around 950 dollars we'll see and i would also imagine that when it transfers from euros to if it does come to north american markets to like canadian and u.s dollars specifically u.s dollars i would imagine that it wouldn't transfer one to one generally phones don't do that um, or products in general just because of taxes usually it's import fees that kind of can decide whether or not a, a device is going to cost more in a particular market and a lot of times in european markets there are more taxes that do need to be paid which is why they're a little bit more expensive so yeah i, I would imagine that it would probably be a little bit cheaper probably closer to regular flagship pricing but even then there will be cheaper versions than that um, if those devices do come which is going to be cool to see yeah will be okay on to our final topic microsoft has officially bought bethesda now on september 21st of 2020 it was announced that microsoft would be buying bethesda you know adding them to the microsoft family now on march 8th of 2021 they got approval from the european union to i guess finalize the purchase and on March 9th, the $7.5 billion acquisition was finalized. Now, for quite some time, I think off of the podcast, we've kind of talked about bringing this up. But now that it's officially been finalized, they're officially part of Microsoft. It seems fit into, I guess, talk about this. So I know you've kept up with the story. I know you've been aware of it. How do you feel about microsoft buying bethesda being the the xbox fanboy that you are <laughs> so i think yeah we, we probably did mention it in, in passing once on the podcast but uh originally i wasn't too happy about the news and it's not because i have something against microsoft or i have something against bethesda or i have something against microsoft buying bethesda overall i think that's that's really cool um but the idea of exclusivity uh, across the console market has always been a little bit of a contentious thing like i think we've we've talked about in the past you know there was an avengers game coming out and i think i even said on the podcast at one point i was more excited about that game than cyberpunk at the time and you know then there came the news that oh this character will only be exclusive to to sony i think it was spider-man at the time i was like oh that that kind of just killed my whole excitement because any character could be exclusive to anything just if the price is right and it's just that type of thing is sad for the gaming industry of like, oh, you can only play this and have fun here if you, if you have this console or if you have that. And that's generally where this deal kind of falls a little bit short. That being said, overall, I think this is a pretty cool thing for Microsoft and an amazing thing for Microsoft. Microsoft is trying very hard to be the Netflix of video games. They want to be the streaming service and if 2020 and 2021 has proved anything it's that video games and the video game market is bigger than anything else any other form of entertainment and it is only getting bigger so the idea that microsoft wants to be the first and the biggest kind of video game streaming service like a netflix they need the content it's the same thing that we talk about when all these new streaming services come out whether it's disney plus or you know hbo max or whatnot it's all about who has the content to justify someone paying a monthly fee to subscribe to that service and microsoft buying bethesda is huge at them getting to that point just to name off a few of the franchises that they now own they own elder scrolls like skyrim morrowind oblivion they own doom they own quake they own fallout they own uh, they own Wolfenstein, they own Dishonored, Dishonored they own Prey, like the, they own Starfield. The list just goes on and on of all of these new, old, successful, they own the Evil Within, like all of these franchises that have garnered an audience is now under Microsoft's roof. And that is on top of the fact that they already own so much more than that. Like, let's not forget, they own Rare. They own Banjo-Kazooie. They own um, Perfect Dark. They own Halo. Like, there's so many other stuff that they own on top of this. And this is one of the largest video game companies in the world. And they have it all. 
not only do they have all of the video games, but they have the licensing for all of those products. They can license the fact that, oh, if Amazon wants to make uh, an Elder Scrolls TV show, or if Netflix wants to make a Fallout TV show, you have to now pay Microsoft to do so. And the fact that they, and these are very valuable licenses, if, if we're being honest. like, And this is goes back, I think a while ago, there were rumors that Warner Brothers wanted to sell Warner Brothers Interactive, which is essentially all their studios that make their video games, like from the Arkham games and stuff like that. But those studios wouldn't come with the licenses. So they wouldn't come with Batman. They wouldn't come with Superman. You're just getting the studios and the talent behind them. This is a much better buy. That being said, uh, about $7.5 billion, <laughs> a lot of money <laughs> um, to purchase these studios. But overall, I think this is a huge win for Microsoft and their goal of making Game Pass the go-to service for people who want to play video games. And I would imagine that going forward, a lot of the games that you were kind of used to seeing on PlayStation platforms like Fallout, like Elder Scrolls, will eventually be exclusive to Xbox and ex most more specifically exclusive to Game Pass. And this could be an interesting thing. I think a lot of people are thinking about this in terms of Xbox versus PlayStation, which I don't think is probably the, the right way to think of that just because, I mean, PlayStation has already been playing the exclusives game for a long time. We've talked about in the past, you know, Final Fantasy 16 is going to be a PS4 exclusive. They're buying up all these third-party exclusives as, as much as they as much as they can, and I would imagine that if Microsoft wanted to just compete on that level, they'd try to do the same thing instead of just buying whole companies. They'd probably just try to purchase exclusives. But this could also be a situation where, hey, if you want to play Fallout, um, Fallout 5 or Elder Scrolls 6, you have to get it from Game Pass. Maybe you can't get it from Steam. Maybe you can't get it from from you know all of those other services that you would on on a PC. And I think this is Microsoft's way of saying we want Game Pass to be as ubiquitous as Netflix. We want it to be on every device. We want it on your phone. We want it on your tablet. We want it on your computers. Maybe even one day we want it on your PS4 or your PS5 or your PS6. And Microsoft just stops making consoles altogether because they are the service that people subscribe to, no matter what they own, to play the Microsoft games. I definitely think that's going to be their end goal. Whether or not this happens this generation or next generation or 10 years from now, I definitely think that this is their first step of saying hardware is not profitable. We want to get out of the hardware space and we want to be the best subscription-based software um, place that anyone could think of. You know, if you want to play Halo, you just pay one subscription fee. You want to play Elder Scrolls, pay one subscription fee. And I will imagine that if this works out for them, which I think it will, they will make that $7.5 billion back very, very quickly. Um, but how about you? I, I mean, I don't know if you have much history with uh, Bethesda and ZeniMax Online's games. Um, if you've been interested in them in the past, I know we both talked about Fallout in the past. Does this kind of worry you that maybe you won't be able to get the next Fallout on your PS5? Or do you think that Microsoft will continue to release games the way that Bethesda has in the past? Uh, to be honest, it doesn't worry me. Mm -hmm. Um, never been too into Fallout. I played a bit of, I couldn't even tell you which one. Maybe Fallout 4 I played a bit of. But I don't know, They there aren't really too many games from Bethesda that I've been interested in. Mm -hmm. You know, speaking of exclusives, Deathloop, which is a Bethesda game, right? It's supposed to be coming out for PS5 sometime soon, sometime in 2021. You know, they've said that even though now Bethesda is property of Xbox or Microsoft, they will still be honoring their contractual obligations like Death Loop, like Ghostwire Tokyo. It's more what comes in the future. Yeah. Now, the main reason they bought Bethesda is for Xbox Game Pass. Like you said, it's they want to be the streaming service of games, which... It definitely seems like they're set up for that. I mean, if you were to compare them to PlayStation, I don't. It doesn't even seem like PlayStation is in the same market in terms of streaming. Yeah. Right. Now, what is it? They have PlayStation now, but it's definitely not advertised the same way. I, I would say definitely even before this Bethesda purchase, it, I would say it doesn't have the same catalog that they do. But it seems like Microsoft 
is betting on this streaming. One question I have, though, is all these huge titles, all these huge games and series, they cost money to develop, right? Now, I'm not saying Microsoft doesn't have money. They obviously, they definitely have a lot of money to go around. But when you're talking about something like, let's say, Elder Scrolls, right? That's typically, what, $70 USD per copy, something around there. They're counting on that game selling well, which it does, to fund their studio for the next game, for the next installment. If now you're getting $9.99 per month for that game, I'm wondering if they're going to have enough to keep these studios performing at the way that they do. Because let's say for one month, I could pay $9.99. I could play Halo Infinite. I could play the newest Elder Scrolls. I could play all the Fallout games I want for one month. And then, okay, I beat the story because that's all I really cared about. And now instead of having to pay $70 to play the story of one game, I pay $9.99 to play the story of five games. And then I'm out. Now, I'm sure they're counting on, okay, people aren't just going to sign up for one month and then play and then stop playing. I'm sure they're counting on, okay, people are going to sign up. They're going to play. And then they're going to stay signed up for the whole year, for multiple years, just because it's such a small cost and they're getting so much value from it. I'm sure that's the main way it's going to happen. But it's going to be interesting to see what type of games they continue to put out in the future. Now, it seems like they want to transition everyone to, you know, Game Pass, right? So you can play on your xbox you can play on your pc you can play on your phone you know you can play on your rog phone 5 yeah. but if we're talking about quality of games right when you look at streaming services and the biggest one being netflix they put out great stuff they put out great tv series but when you look at i guess the bigger production things it always seems to be well for movies it's big movie companies Apart from 2020 and 2021, right? Apart from this current decade, it's been movies that you go to the theaters to watch something, right? When you look at the the big numbers, it's Avatar. You go to Avatar to watch it in a theater, in an IMAX theater. That's why it's the number one grosser movie of all time. Yeah. Right? You go to the theater to watch Avengers Endgame, which is why it took the title and then they re-released Avatar and now it's the number one grossing of all time. But it's not, you know, I don't know, something on Netflix. It's not Shit's Creek Season 2. Oh, that's the best production of all time. And I feel a lot of that has to do with the money that's being put into it. Mm-hmm. And the money that's being put into it is justified by the money that people spend to consume your content. Yeah. And now I'm sure there's been a lot of a lot that's gone into this decision right i'm sure they've had rooms full of people of very smart people deciding that okay if we charge this much for xbox game pass and game pass ultimate and people typically play this many of games per month and this is how long people stay subscribed i'm sure they've done all the numbers and it's obviously worked out to be profitable but i'm worried to see the quality of games that comes from this. Maybe, you know, I'm a bit old-fashioned. I like buying games. I don't play that many games. And you could say, okay, do you not play that many games because you're not interested in them? Or is it because the access to those games is such a high ticket price? Yeah. And maybe if instead of paying $70 to play a game, you could play all the games you wanted for $10, maybe then you would play more games. And you would see the value in it. I mean, it's an interesting proposition, but I guess my mindset, right? My, let's say, boomer mindset is if you're not paying $70 for the new Halo, then that studio isn't getting as much money to make Halo and Halo isn't going to be as good. I mean, we're seeing that the studio producing it is running into trouble already. And that's with the current system. So it's okay, if we're giving them less money, are they still going to produce as good of a game? Or are they going to produce a better game, which is what they really need to do? That's kind of 
where my mind is going with with all of this yeah and i think that's that's a, a valid concern like what is the future of video game streaming in terms of how do you sustain the quality of AAA and quadruple a games um if you're not getting that that initial ticket price of 70 80 60 70 80 however much you're paying per game and i think that is something that microsoft is, is going to have to address that being said the price for game pass will not stay the same for very long it will get no. it will increase in price the same way that netflix increases in price every two months um it's going to increase in price eventually the one thing that i think microsoft is banking on is similar to what happens with traditional streaming services as i think what what uh netflix has failed at one i think netflix did the best in 2020 than any other service between you know trial Disney of the Chica- plus I, I i think they did far better with the trial of the chicago 7 which i think was the best movie of last year just overall um and queen's gambit and then all of their other netflix originals that were lower budget kind of shows i think they produced the best content but they haven't done it consistently it was okay these things dropped and then there was nothing else there was a drought whereas disney plus they had good content that was evenly spaced out with things like the mandalorian um and you know mulan and all of these other things that they did in 2020 and i think that's what microsoft is aiming for with this acquisition it's that okay you paid money for this month you're gonna get halo so you, you don't cancel your subscription for next month because you came to play halo there's going to be Hellblade, and then there's going to be Fable the month after that, and then there's going to be Forza the month after that, and then there's going to be Elder Scrolls the month after that, and then Starfield, and then so on and so on and so on, so that there's always something that keeps you wanting to stay subscribed. So even if it is you know $20 a month eventually, it's still going to be cheaper than you saying, oh, I would have spent $80 for that game anyways. I'll just subscribe to Game Pass because I can play that game, and then I'll cancel my membership. But the moment you think about canceling your membership, there's going to be another game that you want to play. And I think that's what Microsoft is going for with having all of these studios. And I would imagine that that probably won't translate into a lower quality simply because I think Bethesda and, and ZeniMax Online, or ZeniMax, sorry, in total, has already struggled with that. Their latest game from Bethesda Studios was Fallout 76. And that was 100% in response to the fact that Bethesda and Zenimax were failing in terms of the games that they were putting out. Pete Hines is one of the big executives at Bethesda. Very cool guy. I, I love hearing him speak and when he talks about games. He clearly cares about games. And with him and his team, they greenlit a lot of games that generally probably wouldn't have been greenlit because they're not mass market games. Games like Dishonored, games like Wolfenstein, you know, uh, Prey. Those games did not sell well. Uh, and because of that, they kind of had to make mass market shared world games like Fallout 76, where instead of a traditional single player game that, you know, gets people in, pay their money and then they leave, they had to make a game that keeps people coming back and keeps people paying for things like expansions and microtransactions and stuff like that to kind of keep the lights on at Bethesda so that they can keep making those quirky kind of games that they like to make. And I imagine this purchase by Microsoft gives them the flexibility to say, we don't have to make games like that anymore. We don't have to make games that are going to appeal to everybody just to keep the lights on. Because at the end of the day, we can make the games that we want to make and have people who subscribe to Game Pass pay our bills. As long as we make games that interest them and keep them subscribed, we don't have to worry about you know making the next Call of Duty or making the next Destiny. So I, I think overall this should hopefully help them. Uh, and I think Microsoft, as of late, has been on a better path, and I hope that their better path can kind of convince Bethesda to to, to do the same thing. But 100%, I agree with you. They're going to be the first into this new era of game streaming. What that looks like in the future in terms of the quality of games, I would imagine, and you're already starting to see it, that a lot of the games coming out of Microsoft are going to be smaller experiences. They're not going to be as big as you know the uncharted or last of us or ghost of tsushima that comes out of playstation you will get a few of those but the majority of the games will be smaller experiences cheaper budgets 
which overall I've said in the past I think is good for gaming. I think video game budgets have gotten out of control. There's kind of unsustainable to say we're going to pay 100 to 200 people to work on a game for 10 years and hope to get that money back. That's kind of unsustainable. Something does eventually need to change. But I do think that you will see games like that peppered in without those smaller experiences just to make sure people stay stay subscribed. But yeah, it's going to be a wait and see thing to see how this actually plays out. But I do think Microsoft seems to have an idea of what they're doing and and I hope it kind of works out for them. I hope it does too. I know it would be interesting to see a future where Game Pass is is as popular as Netflix is, mm-hmm. right? Along like we mentioned in our previous topic, you know, ROG is kind of they're setting the bar higher for flagship phones, making them more powerful, more features. I could imagine in two years, everyone is able to play video games on their phone. One, because the bar has gotten higher. And two, because Game Pass has become so popular. Yeah. Right? And mobile gaming, not necessarily, you know, you're using your phone as a controller, but mobile gaming as in you can play a game, a high quality game, anywhere you want because of game pass and because of mobile phone software i mean that would be something amazing to see yeah how close we are to that i mean who's really to say i I couldn't tell you i i don't know i don't see it happening that soon though with game pass at least i i feel like it would have to be something very groundbreaking to happen i feel like it would have to be something big i mean talking about disney plus right i feel a big reason why a lot of people signed up for disney plus and you know i'm speaking personally on this one too is because they had the mandalorian Mm -hmm. coming out right it was what the first star wars tv series ever at least to my knowledge i mean i think there was like some christmas specials back in the day but those don't really count um but like because of that i bought disney plus Mm mm-hmm and then, like you said, I was, you know, I was going to discontinue Disney Plus and then, oh, no, this is coming out next. I'm like, oh, OK, well, I guess I'll keep it for that. And then, oh, well, this is getting added next. And then I kept, kept it for that. I definitely see people using Game Pass, but they're going to need something big like a Halo Infinite, I guess, like an Elder Scrolls Six, like Starfield. They're going to need something big that everybody is going to want to get in on. And then I could see it growing. I guess I'm biased because, you know, I've always been more of a PlayStation person. You know, I had an Xbox 360 and then I got a PS3 and then it's been PlayStation since then. So I don't know. I'm I guess I'm speaking from a biased perspective, but I do see the appeal in in Game Pass wherein you can play on your console, you can play on your PC, you can play on your phone. Right. I do see that that draw, but I need something big. I need something big so that I guess I could see the full appeal of it. And that could be this year. It could be next year. But when it happens, I'm definitely interested to see how how far they can take it. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. It is going to be a slow burn. That is why the Xbox Series X and Series S exist. It's because Microsoft isn't ready yet to fully transition into a software-only company or a streaming company. Um, But uh, I do think that it is where they're going to be going and kind of a perfect example of this is for the past almost 10 years still play skyrim you know one of the biggest games bethesda's ever made came out november 11th 2011 11 11 11 and it's still a fantastic game to this day and it still gets people to rebuy it and replay it every single time they release it and now that game plus Dozens of others have just instantly been added to Game Pass. And anyone who's never played it or had any interest in playing it now only has to say, hey, I could just put in my subscription service and I not only have access to all those games that I might have been interested in in the past, but other games that I probably never even heard of before. And I think that's going to be huge for them of it's just convenience and availability. Whereas one of the best-selling consoles of all time is the PlayStation 4, sold just under 100 million units. That is looked for a long time like the ceiling of games at least console games you can only reach that amount of people but now with game pass we're in a situation where there is no limit you can have the hundreds of millions of people who bought a console 
You can also have the hundreds of millions of people who don't have consoles but have cell phones and the hundreds of millions of people who just have a laptop and all of these other things to the point where, yeah, you might be getting less in terms of that investment, but there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people who are paying a monthly subscription for the ability to play not just the big new game that's coming out, but just when they're bored, they can just log in and say, oh, this looks cool. The same way someone might log into Disney Plus or, or Netflix to say, hey, this looks cool. Let me try it out. And I think Microsoft sees the fact that a lot of people are going to be migrating from sitting down and watching a TV show on Netflix to sitting down and playing a game for half an hour on Game Pass, which, like, like you said, it's not going to be an overnight thing. It's going to be a slow burn, but they're definitely heading down the right direction to kind of aim for that. Yeah. Guess uh, anything else to add? Uh, no. Uh, just interesting news. Uh, it's kind of sad that you know there's going to be more exclusives in in the gaming world. But uh, at the end of the day, I wouldn't be surprised. And this might sound blasphemous, but if one day Microsoft just owns so many game companies that Sony's just like, fine, you can have Game Pass on our system, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you can play Xbox games on a PlayStation. Well, who knows? You play Halo on a PlayStation. Could you imagine? Or a Switch? Oh man. <laughs> take it easy everyone in podcast land catch you in the next episode